Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mark Vines Show, and I am Mark Vines, and you know, thank you for joining me tonight on this Saturday night, and what is this, day four of the invasion of Ukraine, and I uh, want to discuss some of this stuff with you guys, because I know that there's a lot going on. Just wanted to give you some of my observations, because, you know, we, we ask ourselves, how did we get to this place? How did we get here, and what's going on? And you know, we have a president of the United States and a vice president of the United States and a secretary of state that think that the way that you deal with people like Vladimir Putin is you impose sanctions on them. And I kind of just want to talk about some parallels between the beginnings of the Second World War and what we have going on right now, because there definitely are some similarities. I mean, <clears throat> really just eerie similarities between the beginning of the Second World War and what we have going on right now. And I'm not saying that we're going to be facing a world war. I'm not saying that. I'm just pointing in the direction of the similarities and how the way that we handled the Second World War and the way that we're handling this uh, could contribute con- contribute to what's going on. Now, let me just start with you know, people in the United States, our, our leaders, just don't seem to understand human nature and the fact that there are bullies in the world, there are bad people in the world, and there's psychotic people in the world and sociopaths, psychopaths and sociopaths. Now, which one of those categories does Vladimir Putin fall into? Well, certainly a bad human being. There's no doubt about that. But is he a psychopath or a sociopath? Well, I don't know. That's for the professionals to decide. But I do know this. He does not care about people. He does not care about who he hurts. He cares about himself, and he cares about his legacy. And so with that, that's where I'm going to begin with the similarities between the Second World War and what we have going on right now. Let's just start from the very macro level, from the, from the high level. And that is that uh, in the 1930s, leading into uh, the 19, for late 1930s into the 1940s, in the beginning of the Second World War, um, we had uh, bad things developing in Europe, as we do now. <clears throat> and then we also had conquest out in the Pacific. Back then it was the Japanese, and now it's China. And a lot of people, unless you study history, forget that the, the Chinese were invaded by the Japanese in the early 1930s. You know, so by the time the Japanese went to war with the United States, uh, beginning with uh, Pearl Harbor, they had actually been at war for quite some time, but with the Japanese. And with them trying to expand their reach throughout the Pacific, that's what ultimately engulfed us into a conflict with them, which they initiated, by the way. Now, when you look at China, that's exactly what they're trying to do. They are trying to take space, trying to build bases, and, and get territory for their own ex- expansion. That's what's going on now, very similar to the Japanese. Now, over in Europe, what had happened was the German army never accepted the fact that they were defeated in the field. And technically speaking, they never really were. They never were. And there was a group of veterans, uh, and many Germans, as a matter of fact, after the First World War, that would not accept this and felt like that they had been stabbed in the back by bankers, by financiers, by Jews, by a whole bunch of people, and that had they been supported at home, 
the German army, German army would have never lost the war. And so there was just a group of people that never expect, uh, never uh, accepted that. One of those people was Adolf Hitler, but he wasn't alone. Um, you had a, a German veterans group known as the Stahlhelm or the Steel Helmet, which is a which was a veterans group. And then later, um, elements of that turned into the Freikorps, and uh, and then that turned into the Brown Shirts. And these people um, kept looking for, you know, German unity, Germ- German nationalism, and so on and so forth. Now, I won't go through all the, the details of how, uh, how Hitler came to power. Uh, lots and lots of books on it. I mean, there's a lot of material out there you can read on Hitler. But here's the important takeaway for what we see today, because this is where it all started. You had Adolf Hitler, who was, was thrown into absolute depression, um, he was very upset with uh, when he was hospitalized after he was wounded uh, towards the end of the war, and um, he heard uh, you know just people complaining, people whining, um, you know people uh, making anti-government statements, and he just felt like these people were traitors, and he was very very distraught over that. And he never, he went into a deep depression, and if and if you read biographies on, biographies on him, he went into a deep deep depression about what happened after the First World War, and he vowed that he would avenge that. And then when you get into the 1930s, or 1920s rather, uh, when he led some coups, when he finally got involved with the uh, National Socialist German Workers' Party, which is the Nazi party, um, you know, that's where he found his voice, and he started working, ultimately was imprisoned for a coup that he was involved in, and that's when he wrote Mein Kampf. And in that, he talked about how he wanted to bring back the German Reich, you know, that's the the Third Reich, put it back together. And how he wanted to achieve that or what he thought was an important element of that was uh, bringing back the territories that Germany had lost after the Treaty of Versailles, which was signed in 1919. And he wanted to bring all of that back into into Germany. And he wanted to bring back the the Sudetenland. He wanted to bring bring in Austria, uh, Czechoslovakia, other areas. And if you think about it, um, he did it incrementally. He did it um, at the build up when he finally came to power. He he did it with the, a build up that was uh, slow. It was methodical. But he was building back the German Wehrmacht, which was the German military, and he did it over time. And what's important to know about this is the Germans were not allowed to have um, a, a really a navy. They weren't allowed to have a navy. They were not allowed to have an army that was for anything other than protection, meaning 100,000 men. Um, but they started building up, and they started building aircraft, and they started building ships, and they started you know, building an army. And training a future army through the Hitler Youth, which was just a way to to do training without calling it military training. But he was doing that. And the important thing is that that was not a secret. All of the intelligences, intelligences around the world knew what he was doing. They knew that he was building up. And if you think about the German Wehrmacht, the military, was a very, very formidable military. They gave everybody, the whole world, a run for their money. And you didn't build that up over a weekend, folks. That was done over a period of time, and everybody knew about it. Okay, so what's the parallel? The parallel is that's exactly what's going on with China. Um, Russia was building up. Russia was amassing forces on the border of the Ukraine. This was not a secret. All of our intelligences knew it. All of the other uh, European intelligences knew it, or all of the intelligences knew it. 
and it was largely ignored. And what did we do? Sanctions. What did we do? Make threats. We came across as a paper tiger to Putin, just like uh, we did back in, in Europe during the Second World War. Now, What's the, contra- what's the compare and contrast with Putin to Hitler? Putin, he is a career uh, government guy. He was with the KGB. He was a KGB officer. And when he was a mid-level KGB officer in the 90s, when the, the Soviet Union fell apart, the people that know him, it's been widely written about, he went into a deep depression, a very deep depression, believing that all was lost. His beloved Soviet Union fell apart. And it was during that time that he knew that he was going to be on a mission to bring the Soviet Union back together to its glory days. And he did that. And he went to power ruthless, just as Hitler was ruthless. He killed people to get into power, just as Hitler did. And he finally got into government with about 40% of the vote. And if you remember, Adolf Hitler originally was elected into his position, not a majority, but he was elected into his position, and then fabricated crises that made him the permanent dictator or Fuhrer of Germany. And then, likewise, Putin did the same thing. He, he created a situation where he's basically the president for life. But he did it by taking people out and being brutal in the way that he did that. Now that he's there, what he's looking at is wanting to be the next Catherine the Great, to be a great czar, to be a great leader. He has a legacy that he wants. He wants to go down in history as the person that brought Russia back to its glory days. And how is he going to do that? By getting all of the territories back that they lost, just like Germany did after the First World War. And so for those that think that somebody like this can be appeased, they think that, you know, this guy will just give up and stop. You know, I he's in Ukraine right now. He's in this operation. He's attacked all kinds of cities. Brutal attacks. They've lost soldiers. And to think that he's going to pull back now and say he's sorry for what he did is ludicrous. And to think that we have leaders that feel that they can just through talking to a tyrant like Putin, that they will stop doing what they're doing is just fantasy. And it's frightening to me that we have leaders that, in fact, believe that. But we have those leaders right now. And to think that we have three more years of an administration that deals with tyrants in this way is just frightening to me. I don't think that they believe that Putin will stop, but they think that it's going to help their reputations with the American people. And I just cannot make any sense of the illogic of their attitudes. Now, I want to play for you a clip, and this is going to be sort of a montage of Joe Biden, Jen Psaki, and our Secretary of State. And uh, just take a listen to this, and and you'll get sort of a sense of the mentality of, of these folks. No one expected the sanctions to prevent anything from happening. It has to show, this is going to take time. Without provocation, without justification. The president believes that sanctions are intended to deter. And in order for them to work to deter, they have to be set up in a way where if Putin moves, 
then the costs are imposed. But if you believe Putin has made up his mind, what leverage do you really have? Why not put those sanctions in place now? The purpose of the sanctions has always been and continues to be deterrence. The deterrence effect of these sanctions is still a meaningful one, especially because, remember also, we still sincerely hope that there is a diplomatic path out of this moment. The purpose of the sanctions in the first instance is to try to deter Russia from going to war. As soon as you trigger them, that deterrent is gone. And until um, uh, the last minute, uh, as long as we can try to bring uh, a deterrent effect to this, uh, we're going to try to do that. Our hope is that uh, Putin will decide to de-escalate, uh, that he will feel uh, the threat of the uh, sanctions, what the impact will be on the Russian economy, uh, on the Russian people, on the people who surround him. Uh, they are meant to have a deterrent impact, that he will feel the weight of being a pariah in the global community. The way we look at this, broadly speaking, and Dilip touched on this a little bit, is that we do see them as having a deterrent impact, right? It doesn't mean they're 100% foolproof. So tell me, how is that working for us? And based on what I just explained to you, a man who feels that his destiny is to recreate the Grand Soviet Union of old, the Soviet Union that he loved, how is this going to stop him from doing anything? Putin is a bully. And the way that you put a bully in its place is by strength. That is what they recognize. Those of you that have never left the shores of the United States, I invite you to do so and go around the world and understand that our adversaries understand strength. Nothing more, nothing less. That's the way that it is. These people don't go around looking for hug rooms, safe spaces, and cry rooms. They don't sit around wondering what their preferred pronoun is going to be. Those are not issues that these people face. These are very dangerous human beings, and they have to be dealt with, and they have to be dealt with harshly. And you have to not be predictable, and that's exactly what Joe Biden has been. He's been predictable, and that's very dangerous for us. And there's a reason why uh, all of this is being done now under Joe Biden, and Putin never thought that he would do this under Donald Trump. Because for those of you that, that felt that he was unpredictable, Donald Trump, that is, that's exactly what he was. And that has a deterrent effect. That's why Kim Jong was, un, was, was quiet. That's why China was quiet. And that's why we did not see anything from uh, Vladimir Putin. But look, they're sizing up the man, they're sizing up the administration, and they're on the move. And just like the Second World War, to follow on with another parallel... When we had everything going on in Europe, what happened with the Japanese? They went ahead and they attacked, and then we ended up in a war on both fronts. And I'm afraid that that's exactly what may happen now. That's exactly what may happen now. Now, um, if you don't think that we have an administration that is completely lost its way, I want you to listen to John Kerry. The traitor, John Kerry. And those of you that are young and you don't remember who John Kerry is and the despicable acts that he did during the Vietnam War and how he betrayed not only his fellow sailors because he was a Navy man and everybody in the military, you go back and look at what he had to say about the United States military and how our military were tyrants and killers. Oh, yes, he did that. Go back and look at him. How this man is in any sort of an office and is taken seriously today is beyond me. But recently, last week, as a matter of fact, he gave an interview to uh, the BBC, 
And I want to play this clip for you, and you tell me if this is a man that should be taken seriously on the world stage. I'm very concerned about, I'm concerned about Ukraine because of the people of Ukraine and because of the principles that are at risk uh, in terms of international law and trying to change boundaries of international law by force. Uh, I thought we lived in a world that had said no to that kind of activity, and I hope diplomacy will win. But massive uh, emissions consequences to the war, but equally importantly, you're going to lose people's focus. You're going to lose certainly big country attention because they will be diverted. And, and uh, I think it could have a damaging impact. So, you know, I think hopefully President Putin would realize that in the northern part of his country, they used to live on 66% of a nation that was over frozen land. Now it's thawing and his infrastructure is at risk and the people of Russia are at risk. And so I hope President Putin will help us to stay on track with respect to what we need to do for the climate. This man is an absolute disgrace. Absolute disgrace. And so for the folks in uh, Ukraine, um, if in, in between all the fighting that you're doing, I hope you get a chance to listen to this podcast because uh, Mr. Kerry here says that what you need to be concerned about is um, the thawing of ice on the northern part of your country. And his big worry is with all this fighting that you're doing for your survival, for your nation, yeah, um, it's going to take away from the focus that you need to have on the climate right now. And all of the fighting and the fires and the the missiles and the crashing aircraft and the shooting of bullets, um, that's going to have a negative impact on the environment. So I want you to uh, keep that in mind while you're fighting. You need to be uh, environmentally conscious while all this is going on. Folks, they, these are the people that are leading our country right now. Very, very serious things are happening in Europe right now. And this is what we have going around the globe. And speaking of which, um, I want to address what's going on with our military. But I want to set that up with this gem of a clip from your president of the United States, one Joe Biden. And while China now has a larger Navy than we do, they have 1.4 billion people that they can tap into for a military force. And we know that they want to take out the United States. While that's going on, Iran is on the run, and then Russia is doing what Russia is doing right now in the Ukraine. Here's what Joe Biden is concerned with. Some of it's relatively uh, straightforward work, where we're making good progress, designing body armor that fits women properly, tailoring combat uniforms for women, creating maternity flight suits, and updating updating requirements for their hairstyles. And some of it is going to take an, uh, you know, an, an intensity of purpose and mission to really change the culture and habits that cause women to leave the military. There you go. An intensity and purpose to change the culture and the habits of the military. Let me ask you something. You think Vladimir Putin sits around and worries about hairstyles and maternity um, flight suits and body armor. How about Xi Jinping over in, in China? Do you think these are things that even cross their minds? And also, why is the commander-in-chief of the United States involved in this kind of stuff? You know, I, I have a bit of advice to the commander-in-chief and his entire staff, and for the general staff, you know, Mr. Uh, General Milley and the, and the rest of you, uh, how about you focus on winning some wars? Why, why don't we do that? 
why don't we focus on the fact that we need to be ready for no matter what happens. A year ago, two years ago, none of us thought that we'd be sitting here on the brink of war right now. And yes, we are on the brink of war. Stop with this. We're not going to get involved. I'm not convinced of that. But if we don't get involved in this, we may get involved in something else. And war is a dangerous game. And I'm getting a little tired of the people that never served in the military using the military as a social experiment. That's not the purpose of this. Now, um, when it comes to the business of war and you commit troops, you're, you're either committed or you're not. And we need to understand that in warfare, if we are going to strike, you have to do it decisively. And it's going to be brutal. And it needs to be brutal so you can bring it to an end very, very quickly. The last time we were in an all-out war was during the Second World War, and we had an objective. But we were also very clear about what we were doing and what our purpose was. And we are none of that right now. It's appalling to me that the biggest issues going on in our military today are hairstyles, maternity flight suits, maternity body armor, and making sure that we don't have policies that make people feel uncomfortable and then they find that they need to leave the military. That's appalling to me. That's not the purpose of the, of the military. You know, by the way, President Biden, there are people in the military whose job it is actually to worry about uniforms and, and uh, hair length and regulations and, and those types of things. You know, let them handle it. You have more important things to worry about with all due respect. This is a very dark time for our military, and it is a time in which we need to really pay attention to our war-fighting capabilities, because our enemy could care less about our hairstyle or hair length. But that's what we're focused on. This is what we're focused on in our military today. And, you know, other people, namely Hillary Clinton sobered up long enough to do an interview, and she talked about what she thinks the big problem is, and to her, the big problem is you, in your opinions. And Miss Clinton actually came out and said that it's your thoughts and your divisiveness that is causing the problems that we have today. It's not critical race theory. It's not fights over pronouns. It's not Black Lives Matter burning cities down. It's not anti-police rhetoric. It's not systemic racism. It's not none of those things that they initiated that caused the problem. It's you and your divisiveness. You are the problem. And if you don't believe me, just take a listen to what she had to say in this interview. I think you're really going to get a snapshot into what makes this woman think and what she thinks of you. And when this world goes into hell in a handbasket, you just remember it was you and your thoughts that were the problem all along. 
I think it's time for what's left of the uh, Republican Party that has any common sense, not just to say, okay, go help defend Ukraine against uh, Putin, but to stand against those people in politics and government, in the media and elsewhere in our own country who are literally giving aid and comfort to an enemy of freedom and democracy. It can't, it can't continue because it plays right into the ambitions of not just Putin, but also President Xi of China to undermine democracy, to literally uh, divide and conquer the West without ever invading us, but by uh, setting us against each other. Well, there you go. There you go. She's at it again. That you're the problem. You're the problem. And what's funny is this is what you call gaslighting. This is exactly what she had been doing through all of this period, all of this time. She was gaslighting us. But yet she says that you're the problem. Folks, we've got to wake up. We've got to get these people out of power because they are going to drag us down a hole, a very, very deep hole that we're going to have a hard time getting out of. It's your thoughts. It's your opinions. You are the problem. She isn't the problem. And she's once again saying that the rhetoric from the conservatives is what's dividing the United States and we are our own biggest enemy when it's really her and who has been dividing this country? Who has been doing that? Who burned our cities down in 2020? Who propagated this illusion of Russian um, uh, collusion between Donald Trump and the Russians? Who were we not in conflict with? Who was not on the move while Donald Trump was in, in office? Just ask yourself that. Folks, this is a dangerous time that we are in. And we have to wake up to this fact. And we have to make our voices known with our government and demand for better because we deserve so much better than what we're seeing right now. So my hearts, my prayers are going out to uh, the Ukrainians. This is a very, very, very dark time for them, folks. But keep an eye on it because, you know, don't think that we're not going to get involved in this because I'm not convinced of that yet. But uh, uh, President Zelensky and all of the folks out there, our hearts, our prayers go out to all of you. And so, folks, with that, this is Mark Vines. I am so glad that you joined me tonight, and I look forward to talking with you soon. Check us out on Parler, on Facebook, on Twitter. All of these different platforms, Rumble, check those out because I really appreciate you guys listening. Folks, keep your heads up. Keep your heads on a swivel. Look out. And God bless America and God bless the Ukrainians. And we'll talk with you soon. Thank you.